but earlier today uh, British former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson appeared before the ongoing inquiry into the UK's response to an impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Also today, uh, we heard from more departed Tories. Uh, Suella Braverman's first-person statement to the House of Commons this afternoon since she was sacked by the, uh, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak last month. She warned Tories they faced electoral oblivion in a matter of months if they introduced a new draft of the Rwanda legislation, which she said was destined to fail. And there was also a resignation from Immigration Minister Robert Jenwick, who didn't think that Rwanda legislation introduced by Rishi Sunak went far enough. Lucy Fisher is the Whitehall editor with the Financial Times. She spoke to me earlier and I asked her about Suella Braverman's statement about her resignation in front of the House. Well, look, she chose her moment very carefully to make this resignation statement in the Commons, timed uh, just ahead of uh, the government uh, laying out its emergency legislation that it claims will allow it to press ahead with its Rwanda removals uh, deportation policy. She said it was destined to fail. She called it a doomed policy and essentially had this message for Rishi Sunak that it was now or never that the Conservative Party faced electoral oblivion at the next election unless it introduced a tougher bill that would, in her eyes, be successful in allowing the Rwanda scheme to get off the ground. And does that mean withdrawal from the European Convention on Human Rights? Well, not only that. I think, you know, her camp, the, this right-wing flank of the Tory party, uh, want to see a, a number of international treaties disapplied when it comes to immigration. That is absolute anathema to Tories on the centre, the moderate wing of the party. And so it is that Rishi Sunak sort of finds himself in the centre of these two camps. And how has he struck a compromise and what's his proposal? Well, look, he's brought forward this emergency legislation today. It includes a notwithstanding clause that disapplies part of the ECHR um, when it comes to um, this uh, policy of removals. It introduces into law the statement of fact that Rwanda is a safe third country, but it stops short of some of the uh, most drastic measures demanded by right-wing MPs. So he hopes it's enough. I think... Interestingly, because it is a sort of um, quite a knotty legal text, many Tory MPs I spoke to today wanted to take their time, hear the sort of considered assessment of legal experts and lawyers. And I think that would have allowed him a bit of breathing room after publishing it today, if it hadn't been for what happened next, the resignation of Robert Jenrick, his immigration minister this evening. He obviously is either a very fast reader or just decided it was time to go because of what his colleagues on the right of the Tory party were saying? Well, look, you'd have thought he'd, you know, he was briefed in on what this legislation would entail. So he had sort of advanced sight of it, I think it's fair to say. In his resignation letter, he makes clear that he, he essentially thinks the government is being naive, that they are um, relying on wishful thinking, on hope rather than experience. Um, about how to solve the legal issues that this policy faces. But it is worth noting that Robert Jemmerich has been on quite a political journey, you know, considered back in the day, you know, a rising star on much more the centre of the party, you know, formerly a very close friend of Rishi Sunak. It's interesting that he's decided to quit in very dramatic fashion and, and in a very painful moment, in a moment of great danger for Rishi Sunak. Cynics in the party will point out that he's been passed over twice for the role of Home Secretary. And so it might be um, 
some in some sense uh, an element of revenge uh, involved um, in his in his resignation as well. And Rishi Sunak has replied this evening to tell Robert Jenner he simply misunderstands what the proposal was. Well, that's right. I mean, he's got to cleave to the to the sense that this legislation will work. And you know, I was uh, among the journalists hanging outside. Uh, the 1922 uh, committee of backbench Tory MPs tonight as Rishi Sunak turned up a surprise turn from him to address them and try and explain what the bill would do and try and reassure those who had questions. And, you know, as as MPs streamed out afterwards, Paul Scully, the former business minister, sort of summarised Sunak's message to Tory MPs as this is it. We've got to get this through. We've made our pledge. Let's make sure we come together. And, you know, if we don't do this, if we don't get the flights off the ground, um, you know, we're in big trouble at the election. And is it really that serious? And could Sunak's appeal do the trick to unite the Tories? I think it's a long shot, essentially, because, you know, there are there are so many different uh, factions in the party now that have different views on, on migration. I, I'm not sure whether it will have done the trick. Time will tell on that front. Is it serious? Absolutely. It is the reason that many Tory MPs are calling immigration an existential issue for their party. And in keeping with our running theme this evening, departed Tories, the former leader, Boris Johnson, former Prime Minister, appeared at the COVID committee today. It was, to a certain extent, much awaited. He got a mixed reception, both from people in the gallery and those uh, fielding or asking him questions. What happened? Well, you're right to say it was sort of uh, the reaction in in, in the room was was, was quite uh, extreme from some quarters. Protesters had to be essentially thrown out by Baroness Hallett, the chair of the inquiry. He started with what, you know, he tried to make clear was an unreserved um, apology for, you know, elements of mishandling of the pandemic. But Hugo Keith, the KC, who is leading uh, the lead counsel for the inquiry, sort of immediately tried to pin him down on exactly what he was apologising for. And he slightly stumbled um, in his answer to that. Um, He tried to make clear, you know, he felt devolution had played a part in the problems because you'd had Scottish and Welsh devolved administrations sometimes giving conflicting uh, views and advice to the Westminster administration. But we we did learn a lot today. You know, I thought it was particularly striking that he admitted the government was incoherent in the early stages of the pandemic and that he himself had been bewildered, as he described it, by some of the science. He admitted he should have twigged earlier the severity of the virus And he admitted that the UK essentially vastly underestimated uh, the importance of coronavirus in its early stages. And he he said he took it about as seriously as he had SARS and other zoonotic epidemics in the past, but not much more seriously than that, but also denied being effectively asleep at the wheel. Yeah, look, as you might have expected, he dismissed claims by former officials that his uh, leadership had been incompetent um, and tried to explain, you know, the decision making as it happened. And I think coming from the horse's mouth, it did make more sense him explaining um, his decision making. That said, there were many, many mistakes he admitted to, whether it was shaking hands with patients in March 2020 or, you know, allowing uh, mass gatherings like the Cheltenham Festival to go ahead, later seen as a super spreader event. So there were, were a litany um, of, of mistakes that he accepted. And indeed, some of the narrative he tried to paint was also contested by um, the council. You know, he tried to sort of suggest that, well, in the end, the UK had ended up mid-table in terms of excess deaths. Um, he cited a graph that he'd been shown suggesting the UK was 15th or 16th out of 
30 fairly comparable countries, to which Hugo Keith, the case, he replied um, with a graph showing that the UK had become uh, had come second only behind Italy and had been one of you know the worst in Western Europe for excess deaths. So there were some quite testy exchanges at times. Lucy Fisher, Whitehall editor with the Financial Times, speaking to me earlier. Uh, Sarah, the Taoiseach mentioned a COVID inquiry uh, yesterday. Yeah, he was asked about a timeline for this um, long-awaited and long-promised COVID inquiry. And uh, in response, he said terms of reference for the inquiry, inquiry would have to go to the government and he hoped this would happen soon. Um, he said the government were keen to engage with the opposition on the inquiry. Um, he said what would be complicated uh, would be in terms of finding members to serve on the inquiry because they didn't want people who had been involved in COVID decision making or people who had commented on such decision making and he said this would be a challenge. Um, I think our inquiry will probably look a lot different to what we're seeing in the UK. I know the Taoiseach previously said that it wouldn't be about putting anyone in the dock and it wouldn't be a witch hunt and it would more be about evaluating you know, what was what measures were right and which, which weren't. All right, Aon or Urdan, the yeah. that that model uh, that the Taoiseach is talking about. Do you agree that it should be less inquisitorial and more of yeah, a learning I, exercise? I, I, I think the government, in fairness, got most things right on balance. We didn't have the experience of the UK or the US, but this was heavily politicised. Uh, we didn't have the body counts that they had, but I certainly think there are learnings that we need because this may happen again. So we need to know about the, the you know the command structure, how that was done, the information structure, you know, information flow, what we did about schools. Uh, how we might handle that again. And also I think we need to have a conversation about the ongoing lasting impact of COVID because I think during that period of lockdown, some people I think may have engaged in the dark side of the internet a little too much, may have engaged in conspiracy theories a little bit too much. And certainly educators would say, school teachers, that the social advancement of and development of young people was severely impacted by those two years. And we haven't really repaired that in the education system since. Uh, so I think that's something we should focus on. But I don't think anybody should feel coming to a COVID inquiry that they're going to be accused of, you know, causing the death of people. I don't think that's necessarily fair. Uh, I think there were a lot of pressures on government that that time between retailers and uh, and you know um, business people etc and, and that's understandable in the overall though I think we need to have learnings uh, and not point scoring uh, if if and when we do do the COVID inquiry all right uh, Marco Cosig should there be international expertise drawn into any kind of a COVID inquiry should be a, should it be a comparative exercise or should there be hard questions asked about how decisions were reached, if only to discover the dynamics of, say, how particular committees had worked and how robust the exchange of views was in terms of allowing in dissenting information, where it was fact-based, of course. Yeah, I think I think there should be room for all of that. I think the ter- getting the terms of reference right so that we can actually have that kind of exchange and flow of information is really important. If it turns into kind of an exercise of trying to assign culpability, then you won't get that. And I, I broadly agree with what Aon was saying. And I would say that the Dole did a good job through COVID, not just the government or the, the, the previous government. Cause yeah, in what, in what, on what point particularly? <clears throat> I think the Dole took a very, there was very little attempt to politicise. There was, of course, a holding to account and that was entirely correct and entirely right. But I think broadly across the board, people encouraged public health messages. <clears throat> you know, certainly there were some things that were gotten very right. And, and like an international comparison is not something this government would be afraid of because I think on an international basis, we see that we, we managed it quite well. But there's some things that were gotten wrong. 
for sure. And we absolutely need to learn those lessons for for a case where this re-arises. Uh, I think a lot of that impact on children, I think I, I would like to see that really properly investigated. Um, so there's room for it, but we have to make sure that it doesn't, that we get light rather than heat. All right. Um, Michael Collins, what would you like to see in a COVID inquiry in terms of the model of it and, and how it would be set up? We see, obviously, it was looked forward to almost for semi-entertainment uh, value or a moment of catharsis there today with Boris Johnson appearing in the dock. Do we want something similar or something different to that? Uh, I, I don't know. From what I can see, uh, from what came out of the UK today, I don't know. I don't think we want anything uh, similar to that. Uh, I see that um, uh, Boris Johnson came in three hours before uh, the committee started, so he avoided any uh, other protests. Um, I also feel that, you know, he, 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 made, he, said, a lot, he said a lot of sorries. But Sarries isn't going to bring back the lives of people that were lost in the UK and that were lost in their thousands there. He said he should not have shaken hands and he said he was sorry. You know, he, he was sorry for so many things, but at the moment I don't see much coming out of that that, that uh, impresses me to think that we should be doing something similar. But we certainly should have our own inquiry. Um, if nothing else, to make it, a, in case we'd ever face this, uh, this desperate situation again, that we'd make it better than what we did, uh, what we did before. You know, there was there was areas where things went wrong. There was millions and millions spent on on on, on medical uh, gear that shouldn't have been spent. Uh, there was, you know, people felt in the catering business a lot of businesses closed down and haven't recovered or are never reopened since. A case of where you, if you spent twelve euros, you could sit and have a meal. You spent eleven, you couldn't. You know, that would cause a lot of anger and anguish amongst people and things like that could be teased out. Uh, hopefully in, in, in committees, like, you know, we've good committees in the doll that can uh, squeeze out a lot of uh, information that needs to be. Right. Ho- hopefully face, if there's a pandemic in, that we see where we made mistakes and, and, and could be better going forward.